Terrific, sensational, amazing, electrifying, astounding, remarkable. Take your pick of adjective because they all describe Kyler Murray. He did it again Saturday. Elite-level quarterback play against a defense capable of playing at an elite level itself. This guy has come so far since I saw him as a true freshman at Texas A&M. Making his second career start at home against an average Auburn team back in 2015, Murray looked overwhelmed at times and ill-prepared for a Tigers defense that was maybe in the top 50 in the nation. Fast forward to Saturday, and Kyler played damn near flawlessly against a Gary Patterson defense, and that came on the heels of an outstanding showing against Texas at the Cotton Bowl. TCU and Texas play real defense, and so does Iowa State. In three games against those teams this year, Murray completed 74% of his passes for 865 yards, 11 touchdowns, just one interception. Oh, and by the way, he rushed for 220 yards and one score in those three games combined. After a couple of games against Met teams and FAU and UCLA, we were concerned about Murray's ability to continue his incredible play against real defenses. Well, through seven games in 2018, Murray has not only played extraordinarily against real defenses, he may have played his best games this season against the best defenses he's faced. You all out there know that I don't care about the Heisman Trophy, but in 2018, kind of like in 2017 with Baker Mayfield, I'm slightly shifting my stance. Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in college football, and he means way more to his team than any other player in the nation. This guy has stepped up his game against the best defenses he's seen, all while having to cover up a bad Oklahoma defense on the other side. No other quarterback in the Heisman Trophy race has had to deal with that kind of pressure, and no other quarterback in the Heisman race has had to be as perfect week in and week out as Kyler has had to be. The dude is awesome, and after two weeks of talking all about the defense, it was refreshing on Saturday to take a step back and enjoy watching Kyler play the quarterback position. OU goes from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray, and these are the results so far? How lucky are we? I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Option. Kennedy Brooks. First down and then some. Inside the 10. At the pylon. He walks in for a touchdown. Kennedy Brooks welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. His 21-yard touchdown run Saturday gave the Sooners a 21-7 lead in the first half against TCU. It looked like Oklahoma was going to run away and hide from the Frogs until a lot of annoying and frustrating things happened in the second quarter to make the game close. Fortunately, the second half was dominated by the Sooners as they went on to win the game 52-27 in Ruffin McNeil's first game as the interim defensive coordinator. We'll talk all about those annoying things we saw, plus how about that Sooners defense? Did it look different to you on Saturday? It sure looked different to me, but what does that mean moving forward? I'm looking ahead to this show today. I think it might be one of our uh, more fun shows and uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Maybe it won't be, but I tend to think it will be. But before we bring in Grant, let me thank you all for, our, for your continued support of the podcast and for also continuing to rate and review the show on iTunes. Your ratings and reviews help grow West of Everest in the iTunes store, and it will help other people who may be interested in listening to the show find the show. So thank you for the help there. 
If you're on Facebook, please go to the West of Everest Facebook page. Give us a like. That way you can stay up to date with the show and also you can interact with Grant and I. Questions, comments, anything you'd like, we'll do our best to, to reply to you. You can follow me on Twitter if you'd like. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And you can email the show as well, westofeverest at gmail.com. Okay, let's do this. Week eight of college football in the books. Oklahoma is now six and one. And Grant, what a difference a couple of weeks make. At five and one, things were looking pretty bleak for the Sooners in 2018, just kind of relative to big time goals that that we hope for Oklahoma and the playoff, competing for a national championship, high standard, of course. But now at six and one, get the feeling that this team is a, a bit rejuvenated now. How's it going today? It's incredible what happens in a weekly when you actually play a game, right? All of a sudden, all mm-hmm. of the talk stops, and then we can actually talk now about what happened on the field. And what happened this week is they looked pretty good, didn't they? I don't really, I don't really have a ton of complaints. A lot of it is just nitpicking. I thought um, this was one of their more complete games of the season. I, absolutely, the most complete game they've played at least since UCLA in week two. Yeah, because you look at UCLA score, and yeah, the Bruins scored, what, 21, 20 points in that game, but two of the touchdowns were essentially garbage-time touchdowns. The defense played pretty darn well for the most part against UCLA. Uh, So, yeah, since then, this is definitely the most complete game because the offense, once again, was fantastic, uh, with the exception of a couple drives at the end of the second quarter. And uh, the defense played – I thought the defense played – really well granted it was a TCU offense that we talked about coming in that is not very good and Sean Robinson looked pretty horrible for the first few series and got pulled uh, for Michael Collins and then that was a bit of a spark for TCU's offense you know but how much of that and I guess maybe we can get into it a little bit later how much of that was the new quarterback or how much of that was just TCU getting the ball in good spots on the field good field position and and taking advantage of it we'll we'll talk about that but first off Thank you, Grant, for uh, writing down some talking points here on the show as we collaborated on this this uh, this podcast. And and as a you know, you and I do this every week. We do it a few couple times a week, and you know we're so dialed in and plugged into OU football. Sometimes though, it's important to take a step back and think. All right, if I was just a casual fan of Oklahoma, or more than just a casual fan, a, a big time supporter of the of the team, which I'm guessing most of the people, if not everyone, that listens to this podcast are, they love Oklahoma Sooners football. You know, what are what are they thinking about this game? And and the thing is, you know, okay, the defense. We talked about the defense for two weeks. It played well. The defense looked better on Saturday, but but what stood out about the defense? Why was it better? And I think that's where we're gonna start. So Grant to you, what stood out about the defense? Well, the first thing that stood out to me, Lee, was that they looked just a lot more prepared, especially before the snap, and I think they definitely made a priority of that in practice I'm, I'm assuming over the last couple weeks they just were they certainly made an effort of being set before the snap and and kind of um just like I said just being set before the snap and I thought that was mm-hmm. something that was very uh that was lacking under Mike Stoops especially the last three or four games uh, they just seemed confused out there and that necessarily was not the case on Saturday. Um, and so that was refreshing to see. And that allowed them, Lee, to do some stuff kind of uh, pre-snap as well. It allowed them to disguise some things. Because when you know when you're, 
when you know where you're supposed to be, that allows you uh, to kind of tinker with what you're doing before the snap and try to confuse the offense. So um, I thought it was a defense that was clearly playing faster. It was more aggressive. There were some opportunities there for them to convert some some takeaways that they only took advantage of one of them. But overall, I, I thought they played well. I, I don't I don't think they looked as sharp as they did, you know, perhaps in the first game of the season against FAU. But um, Compared to what we saw two weeks ago in Dallas, it was night and day. I thought they, I, I thought they did what they were supposed to against a, a fairly limited TCU offense. I think your point about how they were more set pre-snap and more confident in what the call was and there was less confusion, and you mentioned how you noticed they were moving around a bit and, and creating maybe some doubt from TCU's offense, that's a good point because how many times did you see safeties kind of moving here and there and moving up into the box a little bit then then bailing out the snap and how many times did you see the defensive line which came out immediately in a four down line set and even front how many times did you see the the defensive line shifting over from gap to gap before the snap to give the offensive line a different look the linebackers from here every once in a while would kind of move up like they were going to show blitz and then they'd bail out or or back and forth I definitely did know a lot more of that that we had not seen in the first six games because it was in the first six games for the most part when Oklahoma got out there on defense, their players, they were like in quicksand. I mean, they would or concrete. I mean, they would be set in their spot and they would not move at all before that snap. And on Saturday, there was a little bit more movement at every single level of the defense. And that's significant. And I'm glad that you pointed that out because I noticed that as well. Um, and, and speaking of, uh, I, I mentioned the, the even front. That's exactly what Oklahoma came out in very first play of the game in the four two five. Which going into this game, our last podcast, we were referencing the football brainiacs, and they there there were some notes that they had. And from what I could tell, Grant, it seemed like those notes about uh, one Trey Brown started. That was one of the notes. Uh, the, the the even front that was. Uh, showcased uh, predominantly on Saturday. They did also play some through their base 3-4 that they have been in uh, a decent amount, but we saw an even front a lot. And really the only part about the, I think the, the notes or the report from the, the Brainiacs that I don't think was correct was I, I believe that in the nickel package, it was reported that maybe Jordan Parker was part of it. And I, don't, I didn't see Jordan Parker on the field at all on Saturday. But other than that, I mean, we saw, um, we saw Trey Brown. And we uh, we saw your boy Grant Delaren Turner yell for some snaps in the safety or at safety. How about that? How about that? I kind of threw that out there in the last show as just sort of a hope on my part. And I mean, what do you know? And it seems like uh, the the snaps that maybe everyone thought were going to go to Jordan Parker actually went to to DTY. So and and you know, he didn't really stand out to me really for the most part. He was for the most part invisible. As was Jalen Redmond when he got in. Uh, but still, it's nice to see that they have someone out there and Lee, I, I don't know. It's not a bad thing that you put a, a true freshman out there and he doesn't mess up. So I'll take that all day long. Sure. Sure. Oh, and, 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 uh, and to, to build ahead. on that, we, what we didn't see Lee, we didn't really see anybody in the secondary in this game mess up. We, we didn't really see any busts um, kind of everything. The, the big plays that TCU got were all on man coverage. Um, so, you know, I, I'm 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 pretty encouraged with what I saw from the defense, Lee. I think they they really have a lot to build on going forward here. Uh, just because they they did a good job of playing complementary defense. They were not dominant by any stretch of the imagination, but they were adequate, just very adequate. And and 
with this offense yeah. and with this offense adequate going forward might be enough. So you mentioned that you didn't see anybody in the secondary really mess up and those out there maybe thinking to themselves, well, Grant, I mean, I saw three pretty big time plays from TCU's passing game in that game. We had the Cavante Turpin screen, little smoke screen, touchdown, catch and run. We had the touchdown pass to Jalen Rager and the big long completion in the second half to I can't remember the name of that wide receiver that uh, Michael Collins backup quarterback completed so you mentioned I mean those uh, what do you mean they I mean didn't wouldn't there mess ups on those plays well I mean you I'll let you comment after this but on the the screen touchdown to Kevante Turpin that was just an incredibly well-designed play that was blocked perfectly and sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the offense for devising a play that works really well because they had Oklahoma outnumbered out on the uh, out blockers to defenders and that play was just again perfectly designed and oh you had pretty much no shot once the pass was completed to Turpin on that play so I don't have a whole lot of complaints about that one I have would have more complaints uh, obviously about the previous snap when Buki dropped a, a pick six probably we can talk about that a little bit later the Parnell Motley allowing the touchdown to Jalen Rager that was decent coverage. Uh, sometimes you're going to get beat. It was a good throw, perfect timing, good ball location. I know you texted me. You thought maybe Rager pushed off a bit. I, I think it could have gone either way. I thought it, there was there wasn't enough there really. Like if I, I'm on, I'm understand. I understand there wasn't a flag there. Uh, both guys were kind of hand fighting a little bit. I thought that was fair. There was no call. So that one was just more like, gosh, like that was a good play. Uh, and of course, it goes against Motley, who he's had his troubles this year. So. I don't think that was a huge mistake by Motley. That was more of a, a nice play by TCU. And then over Trey Brown in the second half, I mean, that guy made an incredible catch. I would have liked to see Brown break that play up because he was pretty much there. And he even got his head turned a little bit, but not enough for my liking. He should have he should have broken that play up. That should that ball should not have been completed. Uh, but I also would say it was more of a that was a really nice play by the wide receiver and the ball was put in a good spot. So those three big plays, you could you could really argue that it, it, there wasn't it wasn't huge mistakes by Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on those? Well, yeah, on that first screen pass to Turpin, I think that was just the perfect play call in the perfect situation for sure. Uh, uh, Trey Brown almost got in there to make a play behind the line of scrimmage, but Turpin was able to just kind of slip out right at the last second. Um, but other than that, I didn't have a huge problem with that. That was just a good play with a, a really talented, athletic guy with the ball in his hands in space. Um, yeah, and, you know, the, the one to Rager, I'll, I, I thought that was pass interference. Um, I, I can see why they didn't call it. It's, to me, it was blatant on the replay from the one angle. But at the same time, I think, uh, you know, just a bang-bang play like that in the moment, I can understand why it wasn't called. But um, by the operative angle on the replay, I thought it was pretty blatant. Um, but I can I can see why they didn't throw it. And then and then the uh, the, the long one over Trey Brown, yeah, uh, he, he was in perfect position. It just would have been nice if he would have made a play on the ball. Um, and so mm-hmm. hopefully that's cleaned up as the season goes on. It would really suck if that continues to be a major issue. But because he was in perfect position, if he just if he just would have looked to find the ball half a second earlier, uh, that's a play you'd probably break up pretty easily. Um, but other than that, I thought the defensive backs, when they had a chance to make a play on the ball, they did. I, I, I looked through the box score. I think they had five passes defended, and that's I mean that's that's quite a bit. Um, yeah, so, that's pretty good. Yeah, and, and so I, I like to see that. Um, I really not else uh, not a ton to say. I mean they they played well. It, they they were very simplified, and I thought they definitely flew around to the ball. 
Um, tackling can get better. I still saw um, linebackers being dr- uh, drug a little bit w- when they're tackling. But at the same time, I saw a lot of people rallying to the balls, and I saw a lot of gang tackling. Um, also saw some plays as well where there was some good uh, discipline in the backfield with staying at home, keeping contain. Uh, there was a couple little little trick plays, jet sweeps that they tried to run uh, with some interesting angles that the Sooners uh, every single time did a really good job of defending. Um, they, they did kind of struggle when uh, Collins came in. They did struggle with keeping contain on him on uh, when they gave the yeah, read option look. And, and that I, really, noticed, I noticed both Perkins and Kenneth Mann had issues yeah, sometimes. And that with, really bugged me because that guy is big and I'm sure he's tough to bring down, but it was it's not a great look to see him uh, getting chunk runs against this defense, which he was able to do a, a couple, three times. So um, that's one thing to clean up. And I there's going to be some teams on, on the roster coming up that, that may be able to take advantage of something like that. But for the most part, I, I thought they looked good. They, they, this is definitely something to build on, and, and you never know. I mean, maybe they'll improve as the season goes on. That'd be great. We, we saw a bunch of new guys, which I liked as well. So anything else to add? So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously it's this is a step forward for the Oklahoma defense. I think there's no question about that. And uh, another question, or not another question, but a, a, a good question, though, that, that you pose here in our rundown, and it's fair, is – how much of this was Oklahoma's defense, and how much of this, though, is just TCU being bad at offense? I mean, Sean Robinson looked horrible, which we had our doubts about Sean Robinson, and, and they pulled him, and they brought in Collins, and Collins gave him a spark a bit. You know, how much of this was TCU being bad, and how much of this was Oklahoma's defense being measurably improved from the Texas game to this game? And my answer to that question is, unfortunately is somewhere in the middle I, I I think sure it's a lot of it probably was TCU's offense not being very dynamic I mean if they didn't have Cavante Turpin on TCU I'm not sure if TCU's able to move the ball at all I mean that guy counted for I mean more than 50 percent of their yards in that game I think I mean total yards because of the kickoff return obviously too that added like 100 basically right there but also too Oklahoma's defense did play a lot better and I guess I would lean more actually towards Oklahoma's defense being better because of this one factor, which we briefly touched on in the last podcast at the very end, and I'm, I was mad that we didn't talk about it more. This season, through six games before the TCU game, Oklahoma's defense has let average to, frankly, mediocre offenses look pretty darn good against Oklahoma. And on Saturday, against an average to – to more maybe even worse than mediocre defense and t- uh, offense rather in TCU at least especially the last three weeks TCU's been pretty bad Oklahoma did not allow that offense to look really good and I just well there's no way of us ever knowing this but if the change had never been made from Mike Stoops to Ruffin McNeil I just I I'm not confident that even I know they had a bye week, so they had a little extra time to prepare, but I'm still not confident that Oklahoma would have been able to make that TCU offense look that way if the change had not been made. Because prior to the the TCU game, we've seen meh offenses look really good. So I think that's why I would I, I will give it more to Oklahoma's defense being a little bit better than I will 
to TCU being bad, even though it's probably more like 55, 45, or 60, 40 in favor of OU's defense. What do you think? And TCU was, was injured up front as well. And uh, Sean Robinson, for, for all of his limitations in this game as well, he just he didn't look healthy. Um, he, he had no zip on, on the ball whatsoever. Uh, he completed that one pass on the very first drive on third down across uh, across the field. Nice play. Nice yeah, throw. Yeah, just a good th- Nothing really you can do about that. But other than that, yeah, Robinson was awful. Um, and really, Lee, outside of those three completions that Collins had, um, and the one was just a slip screen to Turpin, he, he wasn't particularly impressive either. Um, he's, he's not an incredibly accurate thrower of the football as well. So uh, TCU, I mean, they're, they're, they're hurting under center for sure. They just don't, they don't really have, a, have the guy under center at all right now. But I mean, Turpin and Rager, Lee, they're, they're, they're just some good players, and that really was their entire offense uh, yesterday. So um, sometimes good players just make good plays, um, and really all you can do is make plays of your own, and I really wish the Sooners would have been able to convert a couple of those, especially that that gifted pick six that Buki had that he dropped. Um, I, think, I, I think that was actually a, a bit... Uh, more of a more difficult catch than people are, are giving it credit for to make. But still, when you actually have both hands on the ball and literally no one between you and the end zone, you got you got to make that play. And of course, I mean, Khalil Houghton with the easiest interception ever dropping it. That's just, I mean, when you drop stuff like that, I, I just, I, I don't know if Khalil Houghton can ever intercept a ball if he's going to drop one of those. So, all right, let me, let me defend, let me defend the, the defensive backs. Let me defend them. As a former high school defensive back, I got to defend these guys. As somebody who dropped the easiest interception of all time when I was in high school, I will defend Khalil Houghton because sometimes you drop interceptions. But uh, the main point, and I, I was trying to find a way to, to, to put this out on Twitter. I just, it's tough to put this in 100 and I guess it's more than 180 characters, 140 characters now. But still, here's the point. The way Oklahoma's defense has been playing not just this year, but basically since Mike Stoops has been the defensive coordinator again in 2012. I mean, I can't really speak much to the early years, but I can speak more to the last two and a half to three years. This defense is the, – the philosophy is let's play things safe. Let's not get beat deep over the top. Let's not make any mistakes and just let everything come to us, which is a very uh, annoying way to play defense. And also it makes it to where your playmakers and guys in the secondary and, and not just secondary players, but everybody doesn't have a whole lot of opportunities to make any plays. And so whenever you're playing a defense that doesn't afford you many chances to actually intercept passes or uh, I guess knock balls down, when you actually get a chance to, it's so much more difficult to make that play because you're just not used to it. I mean, the ball is not intended for you. It's supposed to go somebody else. And so Whenever you're not not expecting a ball to come to you because the way you're got, you're playing defense, you're gonna you're gonna drop it sometimes. However, if this philosophy has changed, and granted, we're not sure if it's changed that much because coming into the game, as you mentioned, TCU one of the worst teams in college football in turnover margin. They turned the ball over a ton. Should have had three on Saturday and said it was just one. So maybe this was just a TCU thing. That's why Oklahoma had three great chances to, to force turnovers. But if it's not, if the philosophy has changed and they're actually going to play faster and they're going to have more opportunities to make these plays and create these turnovers, Oklahoma will get them moving forward because they're going to be more used to having that chance and they'll be more ready to make the play than they have been in the past. I hope that makes sense. But I, that's my way of defending these uh, defensive backs. Well, I mean, good on you for trying to defend them, but you got to make some of those plays. 
but they will. I mean, they <laughs> when 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 you get if you continue to get opportunities. I mean, I like though, your defense, but still uh, catch the ball. Yeah, I mean, th- they will make those plays if they continue to put themselves in those positions as well. Um, some other things I want to comment on, uh, going back to the four-man front, I certainly did notice uh, the defensive line unleashed a little bit. They were able to attack, um, and I thought the defensive line played played a really good game, actually. Um, I think Neville Gallimore really is is suited for a four-man front, other than just the, the nose guard in that three-man front. I thought I thought he looked pretty good. Um, the the wish to, to switch to a four-man front for me, Lee, was never uh, about a pass rush. Um, th- this is a team that doesn't have a ton of great pass rushers. They're never going to rush the passer well um, if they're not blitzing, and that's just that's just where they are right now as a defense. To me, it was all about helping and run defense, getting more beef up front. And also, Lee, one of the more underrated things about this is it allows them to have Ronnie Perkins on the field nearly all the time, and I think that's that's important because he's really good. He he's just a good player, and I think he's better on the edge than than a Mark Jackson or a Ryan Jones are in a three four. Um, so I think that's a really positive thing moving forward. And I, I'm glad we were able to see Jalen Redman a little bit. Um, so th- that's maybe some added depth there as well. So all in all, the defensive line, I, I thought, played really well. Probably their best game since since the opening game of the season. Um, and, and going forward, I hope they're just allowed to attack more. Um, I, I, I could tell th- they were in that one-gap scheme a few times. You saw the defensive line shooting their gaps, and that's something that we haven't seen in a really long time. So that was nice. And also, too, what, it, what the four-man front also affords you to do, which I noticed uh, a decent amount of times, it allows you to have some fun with your defensive lineman. You can have some twists. For example, you mentioned Ronnie Perkins. Whenever things were going south in the second quarter, late in the second quarter, and TCU had the football driving, and God forbid they were going to score a touchdown to tie the game, on third and four in Oklahoma's territory, Ronnie Perkins twisted inside Amani Bledsoe and picked up a, a tackle at the line of scrimmage to force a third, a fourth down and four, and he made a you know nice tackle on Anderson, and that that forced a field goal attempt. And so instead of TCU making a play and tying the game at twenty eight, that at least allowed the Frogs to only kick a field goal to make it a four point game. So that's just one example. I, I saw countless times in the game where. There were some twists and there was some movement up front, and you can do that more with a four-man front, I believe. And also, too, just to, to make it clear, I mean, what was the four-man front, the starters? It was Ronnie Perkins, Amani Bledsoe, Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Mann, which is, I think, we didn't really talk specifically about who the four-man front would be, but I kind of thought those would be the obvious guys in a four-man front because that's just who you need inside based on size with Bledsoe and Gallimore. I know there were some rumblings that maybe – Bledsoe would end up playing defensive end in a four-man front they can't afford to put Imani Bledsoe as a defensive end in a four-man front because they need a lot more beef inside and Imani Bledsoe's like over 300 pounds he's a big dude he's got to play a defensive tackle position in a four-man front and also too if if you got Bledsoe playing on a defensive end position you're basically taking Perkins or Mann off the field a lot more and both of those players are good players I want those guys on the field and you mentioned that it was more for uh a better run defense. That's why you wanted the four-man front, and I agree with that. However, and you also mentioned that the pass rush is not really going to be there. I think if they keep playing this four-man front, a pass rush will come. It will come when they get more used to it because I think Perkins and Mann are capable of rushing the passer, and even the guys on the inside can when you get more used to playing a four-man front. Uh, And also, too, when you face teams that maybe hold the ball a little bit longer. I mean, both Robinson and Collins, I mean, they were getting the ball out of their hands pretty quickly. I mean, there was very few times where they held on to the football, and the one time they kind of held on to it a little bit longer, Curtis Bolton got a sack. 
Um, and there was, a, I think, a, one or two other times where there was a little bit of pressure and they, he got rid of it just in time. So, uh, yeah, defensive line-wise, very encouraged uh, by the way that group played. And let's see, I'm looking at your, your questions here. Uh, I mean, we haven't mentioned this yet, but, I mean, the TCU, I guess kind of goes along the lines of TCU's not great offense. They came in averaging 5.5 yards per play this year. Against Oklahoma, TCU only averaged five yards per play, so a full half yard fewer yards per play. And you have here noted, Grant, that 121 of TCU's 275 yards came on just three plays, which is encouraging in a way like where, aside from those three plays, the defense didn't allow a whole lot. For sure, and that's what we've been saying. I, I want the aggressive defense, and if you get burned every now and then, um, that's something that I'm willing to trade, especially when you get to put your you know best offense in the country right back on the field again. Uh, one more thing, Lee, I wanted to add to the defensive line stuff. Um, I, I did notice, or uh, another another positive thing about being in four two five base, hopefully for the rest of the season, that allows Mark Jackson to come in in obvious pass rushing situations, keeping him kind of fresh, um, and and that's. That goes along with Ryan Jones as well. I saw him on third down quite a bit. Um, so just anytime guys like that can stay fresh, guys who can rush the passer, that that's valuable. And also, Lee, my last thought on the defense, it was nice seeing Buki um, manned up with guys and, and being close to the line of scrimmage as well. It seemed like they, they kind of put him uh, more in his element where, where he's more apt to succeed. Yeah, I mean, sure, he dropped the pick six. But that's the first time this year, and maybe the second. I think maybe there was one other instance where we kind of saw him maybe trying to break on a, a screen pass. Like, I can't remember what game it was, but I'm having some weird memory that he almost maybe knocked one down earlier. Maybe he didn't. Maybe I'm just totally making that up. But point being, it's nice to see him being in a spot or a position to actually make that play because this dude is a playmaker. And I know that there's been a lot of complaints about him, but I'm telling you, he's he's a good player and he played well yesterday, and the only complaint I had from him all game was just on a quarterback run, he continues to go high. He needs to, he needs to take people's legs out when he's tackling. He's so, he's so small to the ground. That's the way he's going to be able to tackle. Uh, he tried to go high on Collins on a run play, and Collins just shed him easily and picked up a first down. So that's the one thing. He needs to go low on tackling. Other than that, though, Buki is he's really good, it, he, and he's more comfortable – as you mentioned, in coverage, you know, playing playing man coverage because that's what he did in high. I mean, that's what he's really good at. That's what we saw on tape in high school. He's a guy that can cover really well, which is important in the Big Twelve. Grant, I got to ask you: Did you notice this wrinkle that? Uh, I, let's, let's put it this way. Okay, put a question out there. Okay, yeah, we're 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 praising the defense. Okay, simplified, different. At the same time, though, was Oklahoma did the Sooners do anything? schematically different we mentioned the four-man front so that's that's actually a pretty huge change but grant did you notice anything um i guess personnel wise or uh situational wise defensively that was different to you i don't know are you begging this question because you have an answer to it I, the, <laughs> the most the, the thing that i just noticed is i i i noticed again a, a large emphasis on subbing a lot we saw a lot of different guys which i think is is great um Guys stayed fresh. You know, TCU ran. I, I guess I don't know how many play, uh, plays they ended up running. Actually, I think they, they ran less than 60 plays. It's kind of nice being on the other end of that. Yeah, the time of possession was very much in OU's favor. I think TCU only had the football for about 22 minutes, 22 or 23 minutes, which that's great. I mean, if Oklahoma can have the ball most of the game, that's what you want because that's Oklahoma's 
best unit and the best unit in college football. But to answer the question that I posed to you, Grant, on third down, it was three times for sure, maybe even four times. Did you notice what they were doing a few times with Curtis Bolton in the A gap? Yeah, yeah, and he and, got he got his uh, he got his lone sack on that as well. So yeah, and so here's what Oklahoma was doing, and this happened on uh, the first drive of the game and a few drives and the, the play where he got the sack later on. Oklahoma was actually I'd never seen them do this before since I've been really closely following this team in the last couple of three years. Grant, they were they were in dime personnel. They had six defensive backs on the field on third down. They had six guys out there. And actually, I wrote down who they had. Let me go to my notes real quick. Come on, Lee. Just to make sure. Here we go. They had Trey Brown, Khalil Houghton, Buki, Parnell Motley, Trey Norwood, and I think DeLaren Turner yell. So because it was such a wide angle, I couldn't tell the, the sixth guy. They did it a few times. I didn't, I didn't mark down every time. But anyways, six defensive backs. So they were playing a dime package, and they were playing press cover two man in this situation. The only defensive linemen on the field were Kenneth Mann and Neville Gallimore. You had Mark Jackson on there as well as the Jack linebacker, and you mentioned that you liked that he would be able to come in and rush in pass situations off the edge and fresh. And then you had Curtis Bolton up on the line in the A-gap, kind of standing up and rushing. And even though they were in dime personnel and they only had two defensive linemen, this setup acted like they had four down linemen. It was like a four-man rush. And uh, early in the game, they had decent pressure on uh, Robinson, who was still in the game. Kenneth Murray was manned up on the running back. He uh, he recognized that Robinson was breaking contain and, and was running and, and got the tackle. You probably remember this. I think this was the, the first drive of the game because they got the first down, but then after that, they were able to force TCU to punt. So they did this a few times where they would bring in dime personnel and play man coverage, play two-man coverage, and send Curtis Bolton through the A-gap. And every time they did it in this game, it was positive results. So that's a that's a new wrinkle that we had not seen yet that there's no way TCU could have prepared for because Oklahoma hadn't put it on tape yet. So expect that to come over and over again now as the season goes on. And hopefully Ruffin McNeil, maybe every week, will have another little, little wrinkle that will throw in to kind of throw offenses off. Uh, I will say, though, before you comment on this whole thing, I am a bit concerned about it because I think a good offense, now that they have seen it on film, I think a good offense can anticipate this and probably run some plays that could beat it because Oklahoma was in straight man coverage and they didn't have really anybody in the middle of the field because everybody was in man coverage. And I could totally see some some blitz beaters, some crossing routes thrown over the middle of the field, picking up first downs that could totally make this this uh, this defense not work. But at least for one game, it, it was something that TCU hadn't seen and it worked perfectly and it was a new wrinkle and that was fun to see. I like the idea of the dime package. Iowa State and Texas run a lot of dime, and it's it's very successful for them. So, um, like we said, yeah, I, I now that you mention it, I, I realize, yeah, they they really don't run out a lot of dime personnel, um, which is surprising considering they're in the they're in the Big Twelve. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, going forward, uh, that's interesting. I, I want to go back and look more at that lead because I, I don't know if I watch closely enough to uh, to notice that. But but thank you for that. And also too. Uh, 
again, we get we keep praising the defense, and I mean, it's it's not like the defense. And you, you I think you summed it up pretty well. Or you, you said they weren't dominant by any means, but they played good complementary defense. I will say this though, I I can't wait until they play a game, and hopefully it comes against Kansas State, where the defense isn't put in really bad spots actually, because the last three drives of the first half for TCU when things started going haywire. And I guess this is a good transition to talk like what was going on in that second quarter, late in the second quarter. TCU started their last three drives, Grant, at their own 47-yard line, the OU 33-yard line, and the OU 49-yard line. So back-to-back-to-back possessions, TCU's offense was given an incredibly short field, which all three of those drives, Oklahoma allowed a touchdown, touchdown, and then they, they held TCU to a field goal. To, to end the the first half so I mean given the fact that they were being kind of put in a bad spot with penalties and some shaky special teams you know I every time TCU had a longer field in that game it, they didn't do anything they didn't they didn't move the ball down and score I mean they I guess one well actually no because I was gonna say one time they did but they didn't because they, they kicked a field goal to start the second half remember and the second half, their first possession for TCU came and started at their own 45 after Oklahoma. I thought at the time it was like a surprise onside kick that Austin Seibert had, but upon after talking to some other people at work on Saturday, there was uh, the guys that were at the game that, that got back because I, I didn't get a chance to go to the game. They were thinking that was like another squib kick attempt. I thought that was a, that's, I thought that was a squib that he hit wrong. I didn't think that was onside so kick at all. Oh, my God. So that's two in a row squib kicks that Austin Seibert has just blown, the first one obviously being in the Rose Bowl. If you're if you're so scared of Cavante Turpin kicking to him, just kick it out of bounds. Out I, of bounds. Just kick it out the of bounds. The only thing, too, and I, we talked about this in the Rose Bowl, is like I'm pretty sure, though, they don't have to accept that penalty and they can make you re-kick. So they can just make you keep re-kicking five yards back, which I'm sure is the is the – the fear of yeah kick it out of bounds but tc's like nope nope we we're gonna take the five yard penalty and or whatever it is and make you re-kick it until you kick it to turpin i think that's a rule so i'd have to i'd have to check on that one i'm not and the fact that we haven't checked the double they haven't double checked that's that's on us we should know that for sure but uh if that's not a rule and you have to take the penalty and put the ball at what what is it the the 35 or the 40 yard line 35 like if that's like a set thing then yeah there's no there's no excuse to not just kick it out of bounds if you're that afraid of Turpin, which they should have been. He was fantastic on Saturday. So, Grant, do you want to like what was going on in the second quarter there? I mean, I guess we're trying to we're trying to get through this somewhat quickly, but oh, it was just some main some main points that you want to bring up. I mean, it was it was penalties, field position, and special teams. That's really what it was. Um, a, a cleaner game here, and it, it wouldn't have surprised me to see OU win this game by 30 or 40 points. They they dominated this game pretty much in every facet outside of special teams, where TCU certainly had the upper hand for the most part. Um, but yeah, Lee, I mean, take Cavante Turpin off this TCU team. I'm, do, I mean, did, did they score more than a touchdown? TCU? Yeah. Wait, hold on, say that again? Take Turpin off this team, and, I mean, oh. and do they score? Do they even score a touchdown in this game? Seriously. Uh, well, the fact that Jalen—I mean, Jalen Rager's only catch of the day was that touchdown. He didn't have any other catches. Came on a came on like a thirty-five yard punt return by Turpin. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Um. So I mean, it's I, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, 
Obviously, yeah, he was the know, only guy that was scary. Obviously, Turpin is on the team, and so this is this point is moot and and kind of pointless. But yeah, I mean, uh, Turpin's a good player, and he made some plays. So I I'm just I didn't see a ton of stuff that I'm insanely worried about. The thing that I'm honestly the the thing that gives me the most pause is just the continued struggle of keeping contain uh, on the quarterback on those option read looks. That's that that's like my biggest concern coming from this game. Um, We'll see coming up. There's there's another limited offense they're going to be facing next week with Kansas State. Um, but going to Lubbock in, in two weeks to play Texas Tech is going to be really interesting. We'll we'll see if if this defense really has improved. And I guess we'll see it next week, too, to see if they can put together another quality performance. You mentioned penalties and shaky special teams, stuff like that. I mean, the, the penalty against Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb was pretty ludicrous. And I'm not a big celebration guy, but they didn't really do anything there. And so like, and that that directly led to a touchdown because the next thing was a kickoff return touchdown because Austin Cyber had to kick off 15 yards back. So that was super annoying because, again, it I mean, granted, yeah, you could argue, well, Oklahoma needs to cover the kick. That's they need to cover the kick. Sure. But Austin Cyber should not have been kicking from 15 yards back and it would have been a touchback uh, after the game. Riley was asked about that. And he said, yeah, our, our guys are. Our guys have been doing that all season long, and we haven't been warned about it at all. But he also said that I've got to coach them better. So it sounds like Riley was probably a little bit annoyed that there wasn't some sort of warning like, hey, hey, we saw these guys do this on this touchdown. Just heads up. Anything like that from here on out, it's going to be a flag. I think that would have been fair, right? Because what they did was they didn't even, they didn't do the rock, paper, scissor thing like they've been doing. It was just kind of like a little like designed handshake that they it clearly It was Dragon just made Ball up. Z. Dragon Ball Z, okay. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like, yeah, whatever. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty upset about that one, or about as upset as you can be about a flag and a like a, which turned out to be a meaningless flag in a game they won by 25. But, I mean, especially that they didn't even warn them. That that reeks of, it, it really does of someone at TCU tipping off the Big 12 office to look for stuff like that. That's honestly what it reeks hmm. of because there, there was a lot of stuff too. like there was a lot of nitpicky crap that they called, which really leads me to believe something like that happened. Um, hey, you got to get an advantage somewhere when you're going against an I, Oklahoma I suppose, offense. And that's that, that's just me edit, editorializing. I'm just that's that's my opinion. So so take it with a grain of salt, if you will. Um, but some of those penalties in the first half, I thought were nitpicky and really dumb, to be honest with you. Um that were kind of, I guess, technically by the letter of the law, but you literally never see them called. So it was kind of um, another one that that bugs me too. The Creed Humphrey illegally downfield one bugged me as well, even though I know by the letter of the law it was, um, I, I guess it was technically a penalty. That one didn't bug me as much after I saw the replay because he was decently downfield. The one though, the the you're talking about nitpicky BS, not not BS, but nitpicky annoying penalties that that bug me. How about third and sixteen? Murray finds Brown for a first down, and they call Cody Ford for an illegal formation for being lined up in the backfield. Did you see when they froze like his alignment on that play? Didn't to me it looked like a whole like the same as a bunch of other plays. Like, yeah, how nitpicky I, was that? Yeah, I. I he he did look quite a, a a bit further back, but I don't know that I, I've I've I never I've so. I've honestly I, never seen that happen before. So I'm I don't like really... I went and looked. Uh, I was curious. I was like I went and googled like, hey, you know, 
trying to find scenarios like different situations like where this has been called and i saw like a screenshot on like an sb nation article from a few years ago where they circled a lineman and they say oh this guy was determined to be too far into the backfield and the guy was slightly farther back than than uh ford was so i mean i guess technically it was it was a penalty but it was just it was so ticky tack and it took away such a big play from oklahoma third and 16 they pick up the first down and Clearly, he was trying to. I guess he was getting trying to get a little bit of a head start on uh, Banigou, but uh, that was annoying. Uh, one penalty that at the time I was super mad about, super mad about, was the Parnell Motley defensive delay of game penalty. But upon further review, I actually looked into it, and that was actually the right call. Can you believe that? I found some language in the rule book. Quote. Players aligned in a stationary position within one yard of the line of scrimmage may not make quick, abrupt, or exaggerated actions that are not part of a normal defensive player movement. Huh. I still, fre- so, I still freaking hated that call. Terrible call. But yet, it's actually, it's actually a rule. So they actually didn't. But it was. Can, can it's you a stupid that rule, called, which like, means that it is null and void, good sir. Yeah, it is. A, it is a stupid rule. I agree. It's a stupid rule. Because when you're on defense, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can move around. Like that's the point of being on defense. You don't have to be set and you know be before the snap. I mean, you can move and do whatever you want. And if a guy, if if you move and the player on the offensive side of the ball false starts and you didn't go across the line of scrimmage, that's on them. Don't false start. Watch the ball. I mean, you're the guy that knows the staff count. You jerk. <laughs> like. So, anyways, that's us ranting on that. So, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was a perfect storm of crap. And you got to give credit to Oklahoma. After halftime, beat TCU 24-3. to And Lincoln Riley talked about that after the game, about how they dominated the second half, and he was so proud of the guys. And I guess maybe that can, that can transition us into, a, into the offense, unless you have any more notes on the defense. No, I think we, we covered the defense pretty well. I'm ready to talk about this offense, which continues to just – I mean, they, they just continue to roll on. It's 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 great. God, Kyler Murray is so good. It's OU fans are are insanely spoiled with with the last two quarterbacks. I mean, Murray is every bit on the same plane as as Baker Mayfield was during his three year run. Unbelievable. And, Unbelievable. And Murray's doing this in his first year as a starter. And Mayfield was really good in his first year as a starter, but Murray's blowing his Mayfield's first year out of the water. I'd say right he's now, been, Grant. yeah, he's he's having a, a season very similar to Baker Mayfield's like 2016 season, which is you know not his Heisman season, but it was was probably you know good enough for a Heisman season. So I, I mean, I can't believe how good Kyler Murray has been. This guy's, and I still think we're gonna see him make some insane plays with his legs as the season goes on as well. I think he, he he's still saving that for, for insane situations. You know, like Texas a couple weeks ago, he still has that in his back pocket because he's given himself up a lot on a lot of these runs as well. There is a couple of plays on Saturday. The specific plays don't – I can't remember. I know one of them came on third and eight where just only he could make the play because of his feet. And I think it was there was a third and eight play where it was a pass play and there's nothing there and he had to slip out through uh, the line and he was able to run over and he his ability to measure a defender and kind of get the defender to think maybe they're in a comfortable spot where they're going to get him and then him accelerate again and hit the corner and pick up the first down is so good 
and it's so valuable and it's not fair to the defense man because uh it's it's so difficult to tackle this guy in space and he knows it and he's so smooth and also just his ability so far this year to not take hits he's able to get down he gets out of bounds he's so smart when it comes to that I, uh, I mean, Kyler Murray is, is such a pleasure to watch, and it was a pleasure to watch Baker Mayfield play the game, and in, in a different way, it's a pleasure to watch Kyler Murray play the game just because of that extra aspect that he brings to the game, that extra level of, of, of speed with his legs and versatility. It's so fun. I mean, everybody who listens to this show, you guys know that I hate to say I told you so, but I, was, I, I, gotta, I gotta say, Lee, during the summer and in the spring, I was, I was quietly very confident about Kyler Murray when you were sitting there talking about how good of a chance Austin Kendall had at winning the job. Well, what we didn't know at that time was how well Kyler would be able to, to mix in a, being a pocket passer with that extra element of his legs, and he has done it perfectly. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, I'm still... Best- I, I'm still amazed by just how how good of a passer he is. I mean, he's got he has a freaking rocket. Like, I mean, he he can make every throw. That uh, the the touchdown pass to Lee Morris, the first one where he just he he threw a little hitch. That was a laser guided mm-hmm. missile that he threw like 20 yards and it got there in like less than a second. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was a, that was an underrated throw. That was that was a play where he had a window for just a quarter of a second. And he was able to just just laser boop, right in there, um, and I know I mean that wasn't his best throw of the day. Uh, the one that he that he put over C.D. Lamb's shoulder as he was running to his right, I thought was just an underratedly gorgeous throw. Um, he's so yeah, good. I got notes on that play. He's so good. Um, I mean, I if he was if, if he was two or three inches taller, I mean, you'd be talking about him as the number one pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, and I'll, it makes you. I mean, he. Yeah, there was all those complaints about Baker Mayfield's height, and what's Mayfield just a little bit over six feet tall? I mean, Murray's like five nine, man. Like he's he's little like, dude. There's he's little. there's like there's ma- I mean, there would be massive complaints about his height, but I mean, after you know, it looks like Mayfield. I mean, obviously Mayfield is is ready. I mean, he's he's a player that can play. I mean, it makes you think. I mean, Murray could probably figure it out too. It's just. I mean, baseball. It just makes so much more sense to play baseball because he's not going to get hurt. He's going to make a lot more money, uh, and. So anyways, but going back to that, I, I agree with you. His best throw of the day was that beautiful pass to C.D. Lamb along the sidelines for a chunk yardage play. And actually, Grant, that play to me looked like the same exact play that they ran in the first half when uh, C.D. Lamb scored that touchdown. So, uh, And that was a great, well-designed play where they, they had receivers at every level of the defense, and they used Marquise Brown on a deep post to – to get the the safety's attention, they ran Trey Sermon underneath to get the the corners attention and the flats, and then they ran C.D. Lamb on a backside dig and out and out on the uh, intermediate level of the field, and there's nobody within 35 yards of him. And that was I kind of kind of laughed to myself whenever I saw that Lamb had like nobody within again like 30 35 yards of him, just could basically walk into the end zone. It's just like my God, like. Amazing play design, great setup, and Kyler Murray delivers a beautiful football. It's just, it's, and then you watch pretty much every other offensive team in college football, with the exception of, you know, Alabama, who also is very good. And it's just like teams like struggle so mightily to move the football, Grant. And Oklahoma makes it look so easy because of all the, one, all the talent they have, and two, just all the time spent and preparation, obviously, that, that Lincoln Riley puts into this. I mean, he loves it. 
and it's not easy and he makes it look incredibly easy and I just as, as somebody you and I I mean and there's not just us people listen to this podcast too that really love the the nuances and, and intricacies of football in general it's it's such a treat to watch how easy he makes it look on offense it's just ah it's it's so cool yeah he's obviously a very you know an elite offensive tactician I'm not going to let him off the hook though for the awful time management at the end of the first half though not going to do it that was not awful time management hated it and I hated every second of that the way that game was going it was so negative it was so bad they needed to get into that locker room and regroup I'm I'm normally somebody that's like take timeouts, like try to go score. But I was totally fine with it in that scenario because I wanted that game to get out of there and go to halftime more than anything because it just – the offense was looking poor. TCU had tons of momentum going to the locker room. And, I mean, sure, like we'll never know if they would have called timeouts and they would have tried to score. Maybe they would have. We'll never know. But the way that Riley ended up playing it ended up working out perfectly because they beat the crap out of TCU after halftime. Hindsight's twenty twenty. And that that was just in in that in that scenario, I, I think that was just the wrong call. And I think your, I, I think your argument is a respectable one. I just don't find it particularly compelling. So I, mean, I don't I, think he he clearly wasn't either. He wasn't seeing something offensively. Like he, Riley probably wasn't very confident for whatever reason in his ability to make the right play calls down at, at that point of the game. I don't know. Like is it? It just it wasn't working. It wasn't working for him on those. And granted, a big reason for that was that penalty on Cody Ford that negated that third and 16. And and then there was another additional possession where they went three and out after that one. And I just I think that he was like, you know what? I I'm kind of missing something here. I'm not feeling it. I I'm not confident that I'm going to be able to call the right plays to get these guys to to move the ball down. And what, 40 seconds it would have been or 35 seconds. Like, I'm just let's just get out of here. That's got to be what it was. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's exactly what he was doing. I just I just disagree with the logic. I I still think you're in a good position there. I mean, maybe getting the ball back with with close to two minutes left. And I I, I have I have confidence in the offense in any scenario. Uh, TCU had had back to back really good uh, possessions on defense. That doesn't scare me. I, I I still want the offense you know with the ball on the field as much as humanly possible. And they had an opportunity there to to score and then get the ball again at, at, uh, at the beginning of the second half. And I think you need to do that every opportunity you, you, you can. They could have ended the game right there if they wanted to, if they were a little more aggressive. Well, you uh, have confidence, and you want the, the ball in the offensive hands every time that you uh, can get it, but you're not calling the plays Lincoln Riley is, and for whatever reason, he, he was not confident at that point. So That's fine. I, I, just, I disagree with, with the move there, but it, it, it worked out. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, uh, I guess Grant Kennedy Brooks, one of the things that you wanted to see was Kennedy Brooks to get at least 10 touches. Kennedy Brooks got 18 carries. Trey Sermon got 17 carries. So Kennedy Brooks led OU in, in rushing uh, carries and yards. And he looked fantastic against TCU on Saturday. He just he had that extra. Ju- and you know what? And so did Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon looked really good, too. Hopefully he's fine. After the game, Riley was asked about Sermon's injury because he took a helmet right to his knee. And Riley was very short about it, but he said that they'll, they'll evaluate it. But so far, things look positive when it comes to Trey Sermon. So hopefully, like, what are the chances that now twice in the span of six months we're going to see Trey Sermon 
suffer an injury on the field and think, oh, my God, he might be done for the entire year but then be fine. Hopefully that's the case again with this one. Yeah, hopefully it was just because, you know, he, he he did just basically get a helmet right in the knee. So hopefully it's just like a, it's a bruise situation or something like that. Um, but yeah, Lee, I think, you know, Sermon's health notwithstanding, it looks like they found their, their running back duo for the rest of the season. I, I think it's pretty clear watching this game. Um, Brooks, Brooks is a good player. And so his uh, a, a lot of the worries I had about him, he, he kind of quashed in this game. He's a very smooth runner. He's very smooth. Um, just the um, the way he makes his cuts are just so um, they're they're not very apparent, but they're just so quick and fluid and short. And he he's he's got some breakaway speed. I mean, he he's very clearly the guy that they needed to step up. And he's not Rodney Anderson, and that's okay. But he he I mean he's he's just a solid player. I, I like him a lot. You know, only time will tell. There's still plenty of games left. But is it possible that for the second year in a row, Grant, I may have nailed my uh, like whatever the prediction was of like unsung or like sleeper pick for offense. Marquise Brown last year and Kennedy Brooks now. I mean, Kennedy of course, this year. Uh, an injury helped you out there, but um, but also like yeah, going yeah, back, that's true. Going back, you know, Brooks Brooks looked I thought really good uh, throughout the entire game. Another underrated thing that I saw about Kennedy Brooks. Uh, the, the handful of times, maybe the two or three times he was hit in the backfield, I thought he did a really good job of falling forward back to the line of scrimmage to not lose a yard. That's one thing that I noticed, which I, I just think is valuable, that sometimes Trey Sermon's not even you know great at doing. Um, but also, again, with Sermon Lee, uh, I, I thought we saw, we, we saw Sermon kind of go off again in the fourth quarter, which he's apt to do, and he just looked like he was running through a tired defense. Um, and if Kennedy Brooks gives them that opportunity to to kind of spell ser- or to have Sermon spell him in the fourth quarter when that defense is worn down, that's that's the best time to use Trey Sermon, and that's when he looks the best. So if they can kind of figure out this one-two punch going forward, it looks like the offensive line is starting to cohesively gel again, which is basically the which has been the mo of every single Riley offense at OU so far. Uh, the offense, the offensive line, kind of takes some time to gel in the first half of the season. You see some signs of brilliance. And then in the second half, you see them sort of put it all together. Like we said a couple weeks ago, Lee, they played. I, I thought they played their best game of the season against Texas. Uh, Bill Biedenboe agreed, and I thought they they picked up kind of right where they left off uh, this week against TCU. They're kind of starting to to really push the defensive line back, and they're really starting to figure out those blocks on the on the counter tray. Um, and you saw you saw that spring Kennedy Brooks a few times. He just had huge holes to run through a few times. Um, I, I think they've figured it out on the offensive line, Lee, and that's just really bad news for the rest of the Big 12, <laughs> especially considering uh, they've, they've already faced the three best defenses in the Big 12, Lee. Uh, there's really, um, if, if, if the Sooners come out and they, they, they play well every, every week out, there's not a defense in this conference that can keep them under 50. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but I, that's true. Is, is that untrue? No, no, you're 100% correct about that. One other quick note on, on Brooks that was a nice nice thing to see after what was against Texas. He kind of messed up on some sort of option play or something like that that ended up getting him benched. Or what was the scenario against Texas that he that you saw him make a mistake? Well, on on second and uh, on second and short or second and long on on the drive to end the the second half against Texas where they had a bunch of fourth down conversions. Um, he he had a bust on his option play where it went the wrong way, and it just okay. it it almost derailed the entire drive because they had they had something cooking. So, 
Um, well, on Saturday, they ran a, an option play where Kyler kept it, and Kennedy Brooks was essentially the, the lead blocker in it, and he was out in front setting the edge for Kyler Murray, blocking defensive linemen. And Murray got the first down, and uh, Trey Sermon went, on, went in and finished off the drive with a powerful t- touchdown run to make the game 14-7. to So, I mean, not going to say, obviously, there's going to be mistakes. He's a young player, but it seemed like he improved on that, and, and – and that scenario where he was supposed to be a blocker on a play, he did it perfectly and he did his job and it allowed Kyler Murray to get a first down. So yeah, I thought yeah. I noticed that in the first half. Kennedy Brooks was great. The entire offense was great. Um, TCU at times made plays. Um, Cody Ford and, and Ben Banigu or uh, Cody Ford and Bobby Evans got beat each kind of like once. Um, Ford got beat uh, when on on Murray's really nice throw to Ceedee Lamb, but he was able to get outside of Banigou on that one. Um, and then uh, Bobby Evans got beat pretty good once by by L.J. Collier, um, and he that was uh, that was on one of the drives I think at the end of the the first half, where where Murray got hit kind of right before he threw, and it was an incomplete pass. But other than that, Lee, I thought the offensive line, especially running the ball, was spectacular. Um, I and they're likely to continue building on that. They're they're going to be playing a Kansas State defense next week that is just is just not a particularly talented defense, and I think they're going to be able to have a lot of success against them. Hopefully, Marquise Brown is fine. I know he came back into the game after he had he was tackled, and is I think it was left leg was bent a weird way, and he looked a little bit hobbled. And I don't think he played a whole lot in the second half. Hopefully, Brown is good because. That did you see the slow motion replay? His his leg. I did not like the way his leg bent there. I mean, that did not look good. He sprained his ankle for sure. It just depends on how bad it was or whether or not it was just a twist. But, but um, he, it, it looked more than the ankle though too. It looked more like up near his calf, and I'm not sure what that bone is because I'm not a I'm not very smart. And you and the, you were concerned. We, we were texting back and forth because you had said that you you weren't sure that you noticed him on the field a ton after that. But he did. He he played pretty much every offensive snap in the second half that I saw. Um, so, I mean, but he was, he was more of a decoy, yeah, too. but even, you know, on that one two Lee and the, uh, that, that long, uh, that long third and 16, that was negated by Cody Ford's penalty. That was, that was a throw to Brown. That was after yeah, the, the injury. Yeah. Um, true, true. That was good. Yeah. And he, he, was, I, he was still a little gimpy though, but yeah, and that was, that was my point is that he looked, he looked a tad gimpy even after that, but hopefully a week off or, or, you know, I, I'm assuming he'll probably be maybe not a full go in practice this week. He can hopefully rest that ankle, but if, if he can get out there and wrap it enough, I, I, I think he should be fine. If if he played on it the rest of the game, I'm I'm not ins- insanely concerned. I, I'm more concerned about Trey Sermon at this point. And finally, before we get out of here, just uh, an all-encompassing look, Grant. I mean, Oklahoma, you mentioned they got Kansas State. At Texas Tech will be very interesting because Tech's defense, even though the stats aren't very good, I mean, Tech's defense looked like it had a pulse against TCU which granted the offense is not great but who knows I mean at Tech they're feisty this year that'll be an interesting game then the Oklahoma State then Kansas then at West Virginia a, a, a somewhat manageable schedule considering now that Oklahoma's been rejuvenated it would seem and, and they're in a good spot and then add in Grant Saturday night Purdue just beating the crap out of Ohio State and just like that uh, I mean how I know that and I've been kind of with you, the the thoughts of, uh, man, this this college football season feels different with the teams at the top. It just nobody's going to lose. Well, Grant, maybe moving forward and every year, that take is kind of bad because college football, things happen. And Ohio State got their their 
doors beat off by whatever that saying is blown off by Purdue and now the Buckeyes have one loss and that definitely helped out Oklahoma oh absolutely and of course you know right when I come out with my opening take earlier this week or or last week about how it's all Notre Dame I I just I never accounted for Ohio State getting their lunch handed to them by Notre Dame um by Purdue Purdue. I'm, I'm sorry Notre Dame not Notre Dame Purdue um yeah, Lee, I, I mean, I, I got to keep everyone honest, right? And so that was just a domino I did not expect to fall. And so you're right. I mean, shame on me. College football is well, going to is going to college football that and, were you not even like, were you not even watching the game? Because you texted me pretty late Saturday night and you're like, oh, man, Ohio State's getting killed right now. Yeah, and the game was like over. No, I wasn't. I wasn't able to watch any of the game. I, oh, okay. I, I went back and watched like a condensed version of it this morning and it was uh I mean, yeah, I thought, of, of course, like in the red zone, Ohio State's offense was terrible, but they moved the ball. Um, but man, uh, Ohio State's defense is a is a just obviously a massive, massive problem. It's just not, their defense is bad. And that guy that you really like, that Alex Grinch guy, not looking as good today. Yeah, well, he's not the he's not the play caller. It's still Shiano. Yeah, true. So, but I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly something to think of because they... They got a lot of problems for sure, uh, and they're also—I mean, their their receivers drop a lot of passes, and they're they're struggling to run the ball. So I—I I mean, I don't know, Lee. I, I feel pretty good about not giving up on Michigan as as hard as you did because right now I, I don't—I mean, you have to favor Michigan right now over Ohio State. I think. Um, I mean, after seeing that, and Mich- I mean, Michigan's defense is so good. No, I mean the ga- the games the games gonna be played at Ohio at Ohio State. So I mean, if Ohio State. If they're both the same record, I mean, Ohio State's going to be the favorite team. Uh, and I still tend to think Michigan is Michigan's fool's gold. They're, th- that offense is still not very good. Uh, Michigan State's offense is brutal. I could, and, uh, I, could, yeah, I could absolutely see Penn State beating Michigan. They play soon. Um, P- Penn State's not very good either, though. I mean, I they said, almost lost to Indiana. I said I could they're, see them beating them. It yeah, I mean, they... It, Penn State certainly will be the best offense, the best quarterback by far that Michigan has seen. So, I mean, that's a very interesting matchup for sure. Uh, I just I, 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 just do not like Michigan's offense, man. It, it's just too heavily run-based. And when you face a team like Michigan State who can stop the run, Michigan's offense couldn't really move the ball. It just happens that Michigan State's offense is terrible. Cannot, I mean, their starting quarterback was 5 of 25 in the game. I mean, oh my God! Yeah, Michigan's got a good defense, but that's just incompetence, though. Mostly by offense. Like, come on. Ugh. Yeah, Michigan State is clearly atrocious on offense, and really nothing. Not to mention the weather. I, I will. I'll, I'll give Michigan. I'll give Michigan an excuse to the weather for parts of that game where it was awful. It was raining pretty hard for parts of that game too. So that that hurts. Uh, that hurts an offense. But Michigan's predominantly a run-based team, so it shouldn't affect them that much. And I mean, Michigan used a huge play, a huge pass play to Donovan Peoples-Jones, and that basically won them the game. Take away that big play, and I mean, anything could have happened. But the, I mean, the defense definitely s- stepped up and, and s- slowed down Michigan State when they needed to in the in the red zone, like once or twice. And sure, I mean, Michigan, but I just. I still think Michigan is is mostly I like the term fool's gold and I'm going to stick with that for now. I mean, I'll take their I mean they they have the same formula right now as like an LSU. I'll take Michigan over LSU all day long. I'll take Michigan's offense right. over them all day long. And Michigan I, I mean I, Michigan's got just they got the best defense in the country right now. So I I I, will, I won't take Michigan's offense because you know what? LSU's actually played some real defenses this year that can stop people and Michigan really hasn't. 
Ah, Michigan State's got a good defense, but but LSU's offense has actually been able to make plays and perform against pretty good defenses and make play. Like LSU is is a weird team, and I mean, I got a hand to you. I mean, you got a point with their offense. It it's not great, but it's making plays. They've perfected man, they've perfected the art of being awful for a majority of the game and coming up with the perfect play in the perfect time every single time. That's just that's <laughs> just mean, that's just not sustainable in any sort of conceivable way. Well, the one good thing that I will say, it's it's awesome that LSU gets Alabama in Baton Rouge. Thank God it's not at Alabama. Cause so may, maybe finally the Crimson title get a little bit of a test. Because those guys, I mean, Tua's out of the game in the fourth quarter like every week. And it's just like, come on. Come on. I mean, they haven't seen a defense that's any good yet. A&M's defense, I think, allows like 5.7 or 5.8 yards per play. So not great. I mean, AM's a good team. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they've only lost twice, and they're just two of the best teams in the country. But, uh, man, Alabama is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But, man, they have played such a weak schedule. And we talked about this going into the year. We knew it would be a weak schedule. And that's the way it's been. I mean, how about Louisville? Start of the season. Louisville is awful. I mean, that game that game is means nothing at this point, too. So it's a good thing Alabama, for their sake, has beaten up everybody so badly because if not – uh i guess it doesn't matter it's alabama they still get the benefit of the doubt every year as they should but uh still it's a bit annoying that they haven't played anybody that good uh anything else you want to add Gray? i think we're good here i think we're good i thought it was uh i i think just to put a bow on everything i i think the theme of this week is uh ou just sort of take care of business you know here on out for the rest of the season and just let let the chips fall where they may i think this week reminded a lot of us that college football can kind of get chaotic when we least expect it um so just take care of business and 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 see what happens and they're probably going to put themselves in in really good position if they do that all right hopefully you enjoyed outcu the season feels a little bit more uh meaningful than it did after the ou texas game so that's something to to get excited about moving forward but all it takes is one poor performance and it won't matter again Hopefully that doesn't happen the rest of the year. We'll be back Thursday to talk OUK State. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.